Welcome to Apostolic Anthesis. I'm your host, Pastor Joshua Arend, alongside our co-host, Sister Jody. What's up, everyone? And we have a wonderful guest, my beautiful wife, Angela. Hey, guys. We're so happy to have her here today. We've asked her to join us uh, because last week we talked about mental health within the church. And as many of you know, and if you don't know, my wife and I, we have a special needs son, Boston Aaron, and he's 22 years old. And so being in the ministry, being raised, her being raised in the truth, um, her whole life and, and crossing every T and dot and every I and reading the promises of God and then having a first child be born with issues has been uh, a little bit of a trial to say the least, I guess. So we wanted to have her join us. We're going to get her going here in a bit. And we're going to talk about some of the more difficult things to talk about, I guess, in Pentecost that I rarely hear anybody approach this subject because it's it makes you really vulnerable, I think. So as we get in here, the there's a couple of stats I just want to put out here that nearly 5 million children in the United States have some type of serious mental illness. So that's a pretty significant amount that in any given year, 20% of American children will be diagnosed with mental illness. So this is not an uncommon thing anymore yeah. in nearly every single church, I believe. Um, it's in our school systems. It's in many of our homes. Some of these disorders, though, I mean, sometimes when we think of mental health, we just think of the physical disabilities that we can see. The ones you can see, yeah. Yep. But there's a lot of mental health issues that you can't see. There's anxiety disorders that are really prevalent within children. Um, it's how they were responding to situations with fear and even dread. There's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you know, otherwise known as ADHD. There's pervasive development disorders. These are when children are confused in their thinking and they generally have a problem understanding the world that's around them. So there's, there's a lot more than just seeing somebody with like Down syndrome. You know, there's a lot of mental health issues. There's schizophrenia. The new thing is, well, it's not new, um, but with tick disorders, some of the young people, it's becoming a trend to act I, like you have a tick. I just saw this, yeah. And I know one of the famous pop singers, Billie Eilish, has got Tourette's, and so she's not faking it. She really right. has a tick due to Tourette's. Even some of our young people in our church were mimicking this. And they don't have the disorder. but So it's it's just kind of weird to see how the social aspect is adopting to some of these. But last week's podcast, we, we had some pretty interesting stats. Uh, Sister Jody told us about 23% of pastors acknowledge that they personally struggle with a mental illness. So that's about, you know, a fifth of the pastors right. have mental health issues. That's, that's, that's alarming. 50% of pastors say that they rarely or never speak to their congregation about mental illness. I think that definitely needs to increase. Right. That's that's so baffling to me that 23% of our pastors are struggling with it, but nobody's talking about it. Right. 27% of churches have a plan to assist families affected by mental illness. Now, this is an area my wife has worked strongly in our church, More Life Tabernacle, where we are trying to educate. In fact, this Saturday, we have got a training seminar for Sunday school teachers to educate them when they have a special needs child in their classroom, mm -hmm. um, to be better prepared, to have a greater understanding when certain issues or behaviors arise. So she's done a wonderful job 
with a ministry called ABLE that is focused on special needs awareness within churches, within families, within the Sunday school room. So I'll let her tell a little bit more about that later on. But if you don't have an ABLE ministry in your church, I highly recommend you invest in one. Mm -hmm. 65% of church going family members of those with mental illness want their church to talk openly about mental illness. So I think, well, this shows that the majority of people, they want to have this talk. They want to address some of these struggles that we go through. They are, I think it's, it's exhausting trying to ignore um, such a prevalent thing within the home. And finally, one out of five adults suffer from mental illness. Like I said in the beginning, I'm very thrilled to have my wife here, um, but I kind of want to get her going in here. And Ange, why don't you just open up, I guess, with the story of, of boss in our life? Sure. So we were young when, when my husband and I got married and we, um, we decided to have children right, right away and wanted to start our family unit and get the, the house and the picket fence and the 2.5 kids and, and have the happy life. So after we got married, um, we went right into uh, starting the family. And when our son was born, Boston, uh, we found out that he had a lot of medical issues going on. And at first it looked like it was just going to be on the medical side. Uh, but then the more testing we had done and the more we got into it, the more specialists that we began to see, um, we found out that he was going to have some cognitive issues as well. And that cognitive issues were going to cause a lot of physical um, issues as far as uh, fine motor skills and being able to walk and talk and uh, even potty training and things like that. So although we were young, we kind of jumped headfirst into the special needs uh, issues that life throws at you. Um, And we begin to go through the process of getting him some help and into therapies and specialists and doctors. Um, And it was was quite the ordeal. And especially being young and not having any um, past experiences um, and having anything to kind of relate this to in our lives made it difficult. Um, It was a lot of times of questioning, a lot of times of, uh, this was before Google was the big thing and you could just kind of Google everything mm, and see, sure. see right. every diagnosis and go to the Mayo Clinic and, you know, get everything lined up for you. Um, so the World Wide Web, showing my age here, um, hey, was, well, <laughs> <dial> <laughs> was just getting going. And, and so there wasn't a ton of resources out there. Um, and it was appointment after appointment. It just took time. Uh, but we were able to finally finally get a diagnosis. He was born with microcephaly, which is a small brain, which causes a small skull. And then with that comes a lot of cognitive issues. Yeah, it's, it, it's not what we expected at all. You know, when your first kid's born, you, you do right. And you, you have this vision and this dream of just how you're going to have a son and go out and throw the baseball with him and throw the football with him. And all of that gets shattered right off the bat. And now my wife and I, we, we've talked about these over the years. And to say that these just go away would be a lie. But I've prepared some questions and, and they're very difficult. Like I said earlier, it really makes a person be vulnerable. But I've asked my wife to come here today and try her best to answer these. And, and I know it's going to put her out there. But uh, I just really think that somebody needs to hear this from people that have lived it, have went through this, 
And I, I brought scripture in it and they were joking before the podcast, you know, a pastor would do this. But I think that the scripture is what really cuts to the heart of this. John 14, 12 says, and you're all probably familiar with this. This is truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. Now, this is where it gets to the meat of the matter. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this with special needs is where I've struggled at times. And I know you, babe, you've struggled with his time. So the question I wanted my wife to try and uh, answer the best she can is that when we hear this scripture, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now you and I have both asked the Lord, I know repeatedly, to heal our son Boston. And it hasn't happened, at least to the point we were asking. Talk about the struggle within the faith when you ask God to help touch your son and to heal your son and a full, complete healing the way we're asking doesn't happen. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I think you brought up a good point in the very beginning and you talked about how Um, Kind of where I struggled first, which then led into the second struggle, is that in the beginning, I looked to see what had I done wrong in my life as a person who was raised as a pastor's daughter and was going into the ministry with her husband. I looked back on my life at all the T's that I had crossed and the I's that I had dotted. And I thought, okay, Lord, what did I miss? Where did I go wrong that this would come forth as a punishment to me? Which I know now is the wrong thinking. But in in that time frame of my life, um, it became overwhelming. And that was my thought process. So you felt you were being punished. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So when we would have special prayer for my son, uh, my father... Uh, was the pastor of the church at that time. And he was very much a firm believer that God was going to uh, come in and take control in Boston's life and bring healing. And he would uh, consistently have him on the prayer request list and bring him up for special special times at so, special services. And he would bring in special speakers and have them pray for him. And anybody that he would see out and about, um, if they ever had prayed for someone and they had been healed, it was call Boston over, they need to pray for him now. Um, I struggled with that big time. And many times when my dad would call for us to bring the baby up front, I would let you go up there and take Boston and I would stay back at the pew. Because in that time and in my thought process at that moment in time, I was thinking I had done something wrong. God was punishing me. And in that time, I thought if I go up there, I'm going to cause him not to be healed. Something I had done was causing him to um, stay as he was. If you remember, babe, at that point, uh, the doctor had told us that uh, he would most likely um, not increase cognitively or physically uh, much past a three-month-old child. And that would be his uh, mental basis for the rest of his life. He would never show expression. He would never show love. He would never show us any type of emotion. He would just... Uh, be in a vegetative state is what we were told. So we were desperate for healing. We needed something to happen. But my mind was so made up that I was part of the cause of why he would not be healed. Because I had no doubt of who God was, and I had no doubt that God is a healer, and God could very easily, in the snap of a finger, heal my child. And I knew he wasn't. So if he wasn't, then why wasn't he? And the only thing I could come up with 
at that moment was, it's got to be me. I've done something wrong. When it was time for prayer, I would send you up and I would stay back. Now, eventually I realized, and the Lord helped me realize that it wasn't me. It was just, it rains on the just and on, on the unjust, and that's just life. But even then, when it came when it came time for the special prayer, even after he was two or three years old, and I had moved past that mentality, at that point, I had such a lack of faith and such a doubt in my mind that now I was almost punishing myself for having felt like I did two years prior. Like, okay, if I can't even get my mind straight in the beginning, how am I going to have my mind straight now? And I struggled big time. I think that's typical of... I guess what we all do, we, we tend to blame ourselves. Like right. <clears throat> this happened because we, you know, C happens because we did A and B. And we take the blame, we take the responsibility. And I know that I did um, mm-hmm. along with you, babe. And I remember the scripture came to me from the Lord. I think it's John 9, chapter 9, where it says that, you know, the disciples asked Jesus, they say, well, Lord, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? And the Lord said, well, neither sinned. He was born this way for my glory. And I was beating myself up too and really taking it hard. And then when the Lord brought that scripture to my mind and began to tell me that it wasn't anything, you know, Andrew or I had done. Right. I mean, she was raised in church. I wasn't. But at that time in our life, we were youth pastors. We, you know, our ministry had already begun, and we were doing things right according to Scripture. And then all of a sudden, the things I say now, I don't feel that way now. But at the time, I thought it was a huge tragedy. You know, I thought my son was a tragedy. Now, he's a great, he's one of the greatest blessings in my life. Yeah. But it took a long time to get to that point and a lot of struggles with faith. A lot of struggles with um, my relationship with the Lord, right? The blame game. Sure. Yeah. And so we default, you know. Um, but I think you probably were harder on yourself than I was. I mean, everybody deals with it differently. Well, I think you're, you hit rock bottom, but it lasted a short amount of time. And I, on the other hand, it was a slower decline. And then it lasted, it seemed to last forever in my mind, in the struggles. I remember um, being in our living room. You had gone to church, and the baby was sick, so I had stayed home, and I was so desperate for the Lord to bring healing. I went and got as many... prayer classes we had been given over the over the months and I'd heard all the stories of if you put your hair down over your child yeah. it'll bring healing so I took my hair down I turned on uh Kirk Franklin was was the the man of the hour I turned on one of his songs and just sat and bawled and I'm like okay God I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do to bring healing to my child I have my uncut hair laid across him I have the cloths that have been anointed and prayed over i have the um the t-shirt that says i'm a miracle laid across him what am i missing why isn't this happening right we we try everything we know and there's right we know the bible has all the answers okay that that's the preacher answer right but there's no look here's the reality there's no handbook that you're going to open up that is going to spell out how you should respond 
And I, even when I say that, I know there's some, some Christian that's just so programmed to automatically quote scripture, but that is not what happens in your heart. No. And when your health, your mental health is in despair. I know the, the answer to this, but I, I want you babe to tell people. So how, at what point in the journey and how did you start to heal through this? It took a long time. I would like to say it was months, but it was honestly years that I struggled with this. I didn't backslide. I didn't go out and do things I wasn't supposed to do. I didn't go live in the world. I kept going to church. I would sit on a pew, but I would be hurt and mad. I was mad at God. I was angry that he would allow our child to be born this way. I was angry that although we had crossed the T's and dotted the I's, that the miracle wasn't happening happening. I was angry at myself for feeling this way and feeling that um, our son wasn't the way he was supposed to be. And then that messed, you know, with your motherly instincts. And it took time. The, um, I had been raised very much, our youth group's passion uh, was prayer uh, growing up. And I had been raised with a scripture, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. And I was at a place in my life um, that I did not have the strength to draw an eye to God. And so I knew, based on that scripture, you know, that pounded into our lives and we had lived by, if I couldn't draw nigh unto him because of my anger, because of my questioning, then how in the world was he going to be able to draw nigh to me? And in that process, I didn't feel loved by him. I didn't feel... Um, that he had mercy and compassion on my life, and it just it started to spiral. And like I said, I never stopped coming to church. I would come to church when you have a an infant in the first place, let alone um, a special needs infant. You know, end up by yourself in a nursery. The TV, and the monitor system, and the sound never quite works like it's supposed to in there. And there's always distractions, and I wasn't getting fed either, and that takes a toll on it. But eventually. The Lord began to do, to work in my life, and I remember that we had, it was it was multiple steps. It was not one miraculous step in my life that the light just switched on. It was a multiple steps. We had one service um, to where we had a guest choir come in, and they sang the song, Jesus, I love you, because you cared. I couldn't imagine yeah. if you weren't there. Mm-hmm. And that was a song I struggled to sing. That was a song that, in my mind, because you care, it didn't feel like he cared. So that was a song that I had over the last couple of years, couple of months, had struggled to find, to be able to make that a worship song to the Lord and not hear that and just be angry. But they began to sing that, and the Lord began to call me to a a time of repentance in the altar. And I 100% believe that it was God who allowed my mind to be open and my emotions to finally be opened to be able to have just an inkling of hope because my mind was so set and so made up and I'm embarrassed now looking back to think of how I thought towards God. Like that's embarrassing to even talk about as a pastor's wife, as a Christian, just to be angry at God like that. But they began to sing in um, my mother and my mother-in-law and my husband came over and began to pray with me and the walls did not come down that night. But there was a crack. Sure. Um, There's a crack in my armor, the wall that I had put up. Just just a tinkling of light that you could that you could see, and that was kind of where it started. 
and I went home and went about my way. And then I had still kept up with my Bible reading and still kept up with my time of prayer um, at home. Now, my time of prayer at home was I was consumed by only being able to pray for my son. Didn't seem like I could pray for anything else. But I happened to come across a scripture, and it's in the book of Psalms. And it talks about that God draws nigh to the brokenhearted. Now, when I first read that, I'm like, wait a minute, what? That is not what we've learned. That's not what has been pounded in my heart. And then my second thought was, well, that makes me mad. Why didn't nobody show me this scripture two years ago? And that scripture is Psalms 34, 18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I I took that scripture to heart and I began to pray and I began to let that become my prayer to the Lord. And I'm like, God, I don't have the strength to draw nigh to you. I need you to draw nigh to me. Right. And that was the biggest, that was the biggest opening in where things begin to change for me. Yeah. It took me, um, I know you just said earlier at the start, you said that you thought that I got over it pretty quick, but it took, um, I did a good job at, at putting a strong front forward because there was a job to do, minister to the young people, to carry on in the church. Inside, I was dying too from the battle. Well, I, the battle had already defeated me, really. That's how I felt. You know, it took a divine intervention from God. Now, you, there's a lot of times you can have somebody whisper in your ear a word from God and the Lord knows just what you need to hear. And I had had well-meaning saints of God and ministers, probably even anointed of God and and in the will of God come and talk to me. But I was either too hurt or too just withdrawn inside myself to pay attention or to even receive the word. But there was a youth service about five years after Boston had been born and I've told the story many, many, many times, but, you know, I, I preached and we, we had a phenomenal service and it wasn't because I preached or anything like that. The Lord just moved in spite of me. And um, youth group was, uh, they were in the altar praying their hearts out and I knelt down in a chair and I began to pray to the Lord and I felt nothing. I felt completely dead. I mean, I was anointed when I preached. I could feel the anointing, but the anointing's not our anointing. It's the Lord's anointing. So the Lord can... You know, and I guess this is a point I'd really like to make. If you're, you know, mom or dad of a special needs or you're in the situation, you know, you can feel the presence of God and you can feel the joy of God. You can feel the love of God around you. But feeling that, but then having it in your soul, kind of holding you and, and wrapping its arms around you is a whole other thing. And so when I knelt down in that chair, that's when the Lord, the first vision I ever had of the Lord, you know, he, he took me to a thing and I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but it took him intervening and directly giving me a vision and talking to me. And he told me in that vision that he was healing me. And the point I'm making is that it can come to a place where, like my wife just said, you know, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That many times, if you are a parent of an individual that is either struggling with mental health issues or physical health issues, 
that sometimes, you know, you can go through the prayer gauntlets, you can go on extended fast, and I pray they work. But sometimes you're going to be in a situation where nothing works, and you will be in that place until the Lord finds you in that moment. And he will save you, he will rescue you, and he'll, he'll just lift you up. What are some advice, babe, that you would give for parents, you know, moms and dads, or even caregivers, or family members, maybe even brothers and sisters that might be battling with bitterness, with hurts, with doubts, with fears, with, with like you said, which I thought was, I mean, it's pretty brave of you to admit it, that you were punishing yourself after you already felt God was punishing you. I think there's people probably punishing themselves that have been raised, you know, if you follow the standards, if you follow the, the code of ethics, if you follow what your pastor says, if you follow John 14, 14, and if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And you say, God, heal me, and you're not healed. You say, God, help me, and you feel like you're not helped. You say, God, love me, and you can't feel his love. What would you say to those people? I would say very first thing is realize that it may not just be your child who needs the healing. That many times it's us that needs the healing. Nine times out of ten, now there are severe, severe cases that absolutely your child needs an immediate healing. But many times there's situations where our child's okay. They are special needs. They do have handicaps. They do have issues. But our child's okay. And it's typically us that needs the healing. And it's typically us that needs to be the one who gets prayed for. As many times as my son got prayed for and I took and you took him up there, many times I should have been the one up there saying, pray for me. I have to have a change of heart and a change of mind. And once I was able to get my understanding, and once I was able to get my emotions in check, then I could be the special needs mother that I was supposed to be. Because I was no longer consumed with trying to change who God created my child to be. Sure. I was instead consumed with, all right, God's got this, and he also has me. And, and that, took, that took years to get. And to be honest, there'll, there'll be times every now and then where, you know, you, you've got that under the blood, you've got it taken care of, and then something will happen and it'll pop back up. Yeah. And be like, all right, Lord, I thought we already had this taken care of. One of the things that we had a, a guest preacher come in, and I wish I could remember who it was because I'd like to give him credit, um, but we had uh, his wife testify, and she began to talk about placing the helmet of salvation around your mind and your thinking, and that we should pray that, and that we should place that over our mind, and that we should pray, pray that God will protect our thoughts and our thinking. And once I heard that and was able to pray that way, that helped me even more. Yeah. Um, like I said, it was it was a multi-step thing. But once I had, it was just little tidbits every now and then, you'll hear that still small voice and you'll hear the whisper of how you need to pray and how you need to think. And if, if we can actually think that way and allow ourselves to put our emotions into check and put our anxiety into check and put our fear into check. You know, scripture says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And when I, when I think about that, and I think, Lord, let me have a sound mind. Let my, my thoughts be sound in your vision. What was your, read your, what was your opening scripture for this question? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, 
and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. And that's it right there, that the Father could be glorified. At the end of the day, my son, as the way he was born, and my family, by being able to live a life successfully with a child with a special needs, has given more glory for God than I think a complete healing would have given. I agree. A complete healing would have been an awesome Facebook post until the next post, yeah. right? Right, right. But living with a special needs child and being able to have a ministry and living with a special needs child and being able to have a church who has a ministry to special needs children and special needs adults and having an awareness in our congregation because of our son. I've also watched the son, the ministry that our child has had. He's 22 years old, and he's the most lovey-dovey kid you could ever meet. Mm-hmm. He's nonverbal, but he'll come up and, and hug your neck and you bring know. a big smile to yeah. your face. Yeah. You know when he loves you. <laughs> and I've watched grown men who look as if they're rough and tough and you know mean, and they've got it all together, and they don't need anybody come up and say, hey, Boston didn't hug me today. Is is he mad at me? Because my son has a ministry of being able, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how rough and tough your exterior looks or how big of a man you are. He can look past that and hug you and show you love and show mercy in people's lives. Um, my old boss, uh, he was kind of a, a rough and tough character and everybody was pretty intimidated of him. And I took Boston in to work with me one day and uh, he was in the back kitchen uh, sitting and, and playing on his iPad while I was working. And my boss came through and said, said, hey, Boston just gave me a hug. My own kids don't hug me. And your son just hugged me. Right. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's like, I kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but Boston has that ministry. Yes, he does. You know, he doesn't know a stranger. He'll, he'll love you no matter what. He doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the flaws that you have. Because it doesn't matter the flaws that he has. Yeah. And God has been glorified in his life. Right. And that took a long time for me to be able to see. And that took a long time for me to have that understanding. That God could be glorified through my son. That God could be glorified through our family by us having a special needs son. And that he could work in our church. If we hadn't had Boston, I would have had a passion for special needs ministry. Because I wouldn't have lived that life. Right. And we wouldn't be having a seminar on Saturday to teach our Sunday school teachers. Or making a podcast. Or making a a podcast on mental health. But it was my son who was born and God was in control the whole time. And me going through that questioning and going through mental health issues and anxiety and fear and depression. And, you know, I remember uh, one of the elders in our church coming over when we were in the heat of things and came over and anointed all of our doorways and said, you know, we're going to pray for the Lord's power to come in. And in stuff like that, in the moment, I thought, okay, sure, you know. Thank you, Elder. God bless you. But things like that mattered, and it changed mm-hmm. even just a sliver of thought in your mind of, well, could that work? Could that change who I am? Well, thank God for, I mean, you've touched a couple times on this, right? So you had an elder that even when you weren't ready to believe or you weren't ready to open up yourself, you know, because when you open yourself up, you know, you make yourself vulnerable to be hurt again. 
So you, just because you weren't in a place, you had an elder who, when we weren't able to do it, step up to the plate. But the other thing you talked about is there's times when you weren't in a right headspace to take Boston up to be prayed for. So you had me do it. And so if you're a husband or a wife and you've got a son or a daughter who who's in a bad place, you don't have to be the strong one. Like use your spouse. You know, it's okay if, if you're not up to going to the altar, like have your wife or your husband or the strong one in the marriage. If you're both there in church, have the strong one, take your child up to be prayed for. It doesn't even have to be a special. I mean, that's the topic of special needs, but I mean, I guess we just bleeds into everything. Right. And sometimes we think we got to be in a right place. We've got to be the strong one before God can deal with us. But the scripture you said is that the Lord comes to the brokenhearted. Like he goes there because the brokenhearted can't go to the altar and the Christian spirit can't take the stand, you know? So the elders need to come and anoint the thresholds and the, the walkways and the four corners of the property. We need people in our life that when we're weak can come in in the power of God. And so I feel that having a strong support group in a church, you know, find prayer warriors, find the elders of the church that are knowledgeable in the scripture. Find people that aren't just, let me go even further, that aren't just knowledgeable in the word, but are wise in the word, have the maturity in the, in the word. And people who are prayer warriors, like we said, and have them do the things you're not able to do. Right. Have them quote the scripture to you. Have them pray with anointing oil. And it's okay that we're not always on top of the mountain. And, you know, I think we said it in the podcast, you know, it's okay, right? To not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. And I think that is such an important distinction to make because you've just hit the nail on the head that we, we do need that support from the elders, from the, from your fellow saints. You need that support that when you can't Go, you know, you can't make that supplication for yourself that you have people that are in your corner that do, which is why it's so important to talk about stuff like this. You know, like you just said, so many times people think they have to put on this brave face and you have to be strong and not let everybody, especially in the role of a minister or, you know, pastor and their wives, any position of leadership, there's this misconstrued perception that they have to be strong at all times. Sure. And God forbid that they struggle with things like depression and anxiety and fear and self-doubt and blame. You know, they're not supposed to deal with that. So, it, you know, there's this idea that it just gets swept under the rug because they have to be strong for their congregation or, you know, for the people that are inevitably watching them. And it's so important to to discuss things like this because pastors and ministers and their wives and elders, they're still human. Their title and their role does not negate the fact that they are still human and they deal with very real human emotions. And we all, at one time or another, have that time where we can't, we are the brokenhearted and we cannot make that supplication for ourselves and we need that support. Absolutely. Did you want to add anything, Jody? I know you're a, you're a mom and every mom goes through things and I'm kind of putting her on the spot right now, but um, I know she's had some experience in this world too. I think she has said it all perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> she, she dodged that question pretty good. <clears throat> no, I mean, I don't think there's anything really that I could add or say differently, you know? 
I I had the same, you know, and, and my son is, you know, he's ADHD and opposition, ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, you know, and I had some of the same struggles of why, you know, why? And, you know, you do go through that time where you're thinking, you're looking back over your life like, oh, I shouldn't maybe have done that. Maybe I wouldn't be in this situation, you know. You put that blame inwardly on yourself that this is some punishment. I relate to that very well because I did, I went through the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, this has been, this has been fantastic. And I know that it's going to help somebody. There's been people in other countries recently actually listened to our podcast on mental health. It just seems like it's, it's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to admit their struggles with this. It's just a really sensitive issue. And I appreciate my wife being willing to open her heart, be willing to share a little bit of the story and the struggles that she went through. Is there anything else you want to add, babe, before we get out of here? I'd say the only thing I'd like to add is one of the best things that um, my mother-in-law is a clinical psychologist. One of the best things that she taught me is that we are all special needs and we all have our different issues and our different struggles and we all we all struggle and it's easy for us to do sometimes hierarchies in our mind of what constitutes as special needs and what is more special needs than other things and actually a friend of mine it was something I'd never thought about and I was talking to her and she has a down syndrome child and she talked about her experience was the opposite that my experience was everybody let's pray for Boston let's get this kid healed right And for her, Down syndrome was, she felt people accepted that as an okay special needs. And she said with that, there wasn't a whole lot of, let's pray for my child and see healing done. And so she struggled kind of the opposite, that she had a need and people didn't realize the need because it was an acceptable illness in that child's life. So I would just say, have an awareness when you see people going through things and having children who are different, whether it's ADHD and ODD, whether it's Down syndrome, whether it's uh, microcephaly, every single mama out there is struggling. Every single dad is out there struggling. My daughter has gone through struggles as being a sibling of a special needs child. Yeah, that's true. And to just to just be aware and don't be quick to put people in in boxes that's good that's and good. that we are all every single one of us has special needs and we all struggle just see yourselves as as equal and that we all have needs and every need is important to the individual going through it amen amen that's true we're all special needs <laughs> some more special than others that's for sure thank you so much babe for coming on and uh just being with us and opening your heart with our listeners i know that we're going to be probably dealing with this till the day the Lord takes us home. You know, I don't think you ever really get, if, you, if you're if you living the life with a special needs child or, or loved one in the home, every day you're going to face new challenges and new um, obstacles, but you just trust in the Lord. And when you ask things in his name, he says, I will do it. But I'd just like to say, address that scripture just real quick, and then we'll get out of here. He said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He didn't say when. Yeah. He just says, I'll do it. And waiting on God's time is sometimes excruciating. And sometimes we begin to doubt whether or not he heard us. But he said, I'll do it. And we asked God to heal my son. And he has healed my son over and over and over in many ways. Not the ways we thought he would, 
but he's done it. And truly, from the depths of my heart, I wouldn't change a single thing about my son. Amen. And sometimes I think the healing I asked for boss really was the healing I needed. Yours, yeah. So I appreciate you guys being here. Sister Jody's going to get us out of here. God bless you all. Today we spent some time talking about mental health and the special needs from a perspective of a mom who has a son with special needs. And we got a chance to hear about those struggles that a parent of special needs children can face on a deeply personal level. And I also appreciate you coming and sharing with us. And I find it interesting that you made mention that, you know, now you feel embarrassed to go back, you know, to think back of how you felt at the time. And I find, you know, I, I don't think there's anything to be embarrassed about, really. You know what I mean? There's just, it's real, it's raw. And I think if we make it something that's not such, like you said, an elephant in the room, that we don't have to be embarrassed. You know, the struggles are real. Struggles as a parent at all is real, but struggling, the struggles that you face with the, as a parent of a special needs child, they're, they're no joke. Right. They're real and they're nothing to be ashamed of. And, you know, if you or someone you know is in the midst of a struggle as a caregiver of someone with special needs and you're finding that the struggle is just becoming too great, we encourage you to don't hesitate to seek help from a professional counselor in your area, um, you know, whatever you might need. As caregivers, we will all at one time or another find ourselves in a place where we just need that little extra oomph, that That's little right. extra help. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm waving the white flag. I need some help. So we hope you enjoyed today's podcast and are so glad that you took the time today to listen. If you haven't already, go ahead and click subscribe so you can be notified when our next episode airs. If you have an idea for a topic that you would like to be here discussed, maybe it's something that like mental health that isn't often talked about in the Christian world, or it's something that you would like to know more about as it relates to maybe everyday life or biblical truth, let us know in the comments, reach out. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, I'll let... uh ladies say goodbye and hopefully we'll see you next time take care god bless bye-bye